0: Okay, we are live on VT Radio, on Facebook, on, uh, what's the other one called? Uh, is it Twitter? Maybe Twitter? Maybe YouTube. YouTube. And uh, we're on with the great Dr. Alan Sobrowski, and we're going to talk the Gaza War. Right now, Alan, uh, there's a blackout in Gaza. Uh, you, you've probably heard about it. It just happened a few minutes ago. Uh, they cut off all the communications. The U.S. and Israel have cut off communications to all Palestinians. That's 2.4 million people have been cut off. Um, the U.S. news is completely blacking this out. No one knows what's going on. I, I, I did have a chance to see Al Jazeera. They do have reporters on the ground in Gaza, and they're using off-the-grid technology to broadcast it to Qatar to get the word out of what's going on. Um, it, it, we don't know what's going on. I, we know that there's over 7,000 dead murdered by the U.S.-Israeli cabal. We know that over 20,000 have been injured. We know that uh, Gaza is being flattened. And the, this is the final solution, D- Dr. Allen. Uh, speak to me. Tell me what's going on. Well, it is the final solution, but,
1: you know, it's it's unfortunate, but what's happening in Gaza is just the intermediate step. It's a prelude to the U.S.-Israeli operations. They're going to do to Syria what we did to Iraq, and then the point is to take out Iran. There's no question at all about it, that this has been, been building for a long time, and the net effect of it will be, first of all, the erasure of the Gaza enclave, the Israelis are going to absorb it, probably with something that's going to make the Nakba of 1948 look like a very gentle walk in the park, and then it's going to be Iran's turn. Blinken, the Secretary of State, has already said that the United States will respond strongly and decisively to any actions by Iran or its proxies, which apparently can be anyone we have to consider to be an Iranian proxy. This is all a prelude to war. We've seen it coming for a long time. It's a prelude to a real war, and uh, it's going to be a very interesting one. We might find ourselves with some surprises.
0: Now, Dr. Allen, you're a military guy yourself, and you're 82 years old. You've been around. You've seen a lot of things, man. You've seen the JFK thing. You've seen a lot of stuff. This is not... Something that you're talking just uh, haphazardly about it is that correct no, no not haphazardly at all. I had ten years in the Marines
1: couple of tours in Vietnam with the first Marine Division did a PhD at the University of Michigan I'm a graduate of the Army War College I've been looking at military affairs more than sixty years from everywhere from from boots on the ground very muddy Marine Corps boots you know to on the faculty of the Army War College
0: and so, this is, as far as I I'm concerned. What you're saying is it's incredible. This is what you're saying is absolutely incredible. It's not incredible. It's, it's it's very very credible
1: and it's very real. The Israelis have always wanted to get rid of Iran. Though it was Iran was the seventh country in that list of seven countries that immediately after we attacked Afghanistan, they in two thousand one, mm-hmm. the uh, the neocons dominating the Washington national security establishment determined had to be removed. Uh, we got six of them. Now Iran's left. Well, actually, we got five and a half. We got boots on the ground in Syria, but Syria still has an independent government, semi-independent government. But with, once Syria is out of the way, then it will be Iran's turn. And the Palestinians... How
0: many, how many millions of people in Iran? Is it, is it seventy-five, hundred million?
1: I have no idea what it is right now because they've gotten refugees from a number of other countries, including Afghanistan. Uh, Many of whom are going back. But I think the the problem for the Palestinians is that for both sides, they're basically disposable counters. They simply don't matter. They don't matter to the Israelis. They don't matter to the United States. And there's nothing really Iran or Syria can do for them, really, from their positions. Uh, and... I think the way the war started makes it more likely that the Israelis are going to make sure that there is nothing equivalent to a Palestinian government or a Palestinian regime anywhere left, West Bank, Gaza, doesn't matter.
0: And so what's the, what's the game plan? Are they going to make us all refugees again and throw us where? Or just murder us all? Is it just murder? Oh, I, don't, I don't think they're going to bother murdering. It's not necessary. They can just simply
1: push everyone into the Sinai.
0: And uh, I, I said, can...
1: I said about five years ago. Um, I think I was talking to Kevin Barrett at the time. I said that all that's required is the proper pretext, and the Israelis will then clear not only the people, the Palestinians in East Jerusalem and the West Bank, but the Arab citizens of Israel whom the Israeli the Jewish Israelis don't trust, clear them west, clear them to the west, east rather, into Jordan, or possibly a few of them into Syria in the north, and clear out Gaza and move the people of Gaza out. And where they go, out, doesn't really matter. I mean the Israelis don't care, and no right. one, no one will do anything to them because they have an eight hundred pound puppet. In their corner which is the united states
0: so so this is a modern day trail of tears again and that's the end of the story good analogy that's story.
1: yeah that's that's a good analogy yeah very much like that
0: they're gonna but walk were, the sinai Desert from georgia to oklahoma from palestine to the middle to what the sinai it's the same damn the sinai, thing isn't it yeah yeah basically yeah. that's basically so let, me ask, let, let me ask you a question about this whole whole thing uh is there going to be any pushback from anybody in the world? Or is just everybody going to let the United States just walk all over the world and just take a big dump on everybody In the hell with it? Is that what's happening? Or is there going to be pushback?
1: There are only two countries that could do any pushback that would matter, and that's Russia and China. Russia, uh, for its own mistakes, and I mean tactical mistakes on the ground, mm. is bogged down in Ukraine and really can't do anything. And I don't see China acting that far away without Russia. So at this point, Iran is on its own, Syria is on its own, the Palestinians are on its own, and no one else cares. So it's hopeless as far as
0: you're concerned.
1: It's always been hopeless. It's just been a question of when the Israelis would, would decide that they had the had the proper leverage and the opportunity to act. And they, I think they
0: have it now. And history will judge it as what?
1: Well, since history is going to be written by the woke leftists, they will be told that justice prevailed. uh, That the people who tried to block the Israelis from achieving their greater homeland, the greater home that they described as the the Kingdom of David a little bit more, uh, were properly pushed back. That there was never
0: any Palestine or any
1: Palestinians. It will be all that.
0: You know, I just watched the, the movie, The Killer of the Flower Moon. Uh, it's the uh, movie with uh, Martin Scorsese about the Osage tribesmen. And even that movie was told from the perspective of the white man. Um, are, are we just going to get a movie of Palestinians 100 years from now? And it's say there was a Palestine guy somewhere in a weird looking outfit. I don't really know, but you know,
1: it's really interesting. I was thinking about this a um, couple of days ago about the writing and rewriting of history. You Mm -hmm. know, Carthage was a great empire in its day, competitor for a couple of centuries with Rome. When the Romans erased Carthage, they erased it so completely that nothing survives of its literature, its history, only fragments of, of art and statuary. Anything and everything we know about the Carthaginians, including Hannibal, their great general, all the rest of it, we know from the perspective of the Romans who defeated them and erased them. And I suspect that's what's going to happen. Uh, unless, Unless people in this country, in the final moments, wake up and do something fairly dramatic, the history of today, the history of the United States, the history of Palestine, the very fact of Palestine, will be written from the perspective of Orthodox Israelis.
0: Interesting. Now, some people like Dr. Kevin Barrett say that there's going to be a great, a possible great revival of the Arab world from this, That there's going to be pushback from the Arab people. But what you're saying is that doesn't matter. There's 300 million Arabs that are not going to do anything about it. I mean, they physically can literally walk into Israel right now, 300 million of them. I mean, not really, but they can actually take a walk, walk right in, and maybe Israel kills 10 million of them, or maybe 20 million, or maybe 30 million but they could physically walk in and just invade Israel. But how does that, how come not, not going to happen?
1: It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's not a matter of people. It's a function of military capabilities. Mm-hmm. And in the last analysis, Israel has its own nuclear capabilities and it has the American nuclear forces behind that. I don't think, you know, we had, for example, just in the last few days, there was an advisory, quote unquote, group, Of a Marine Lieutenant General and several others that were sent to Israel supposedly to advise it in preparation for a ground assault on Gaza. The Israelis don't need advisors to commit a ground assault on Gaza. What they wanted was two things one, a tangible signal of the United States being so completely subservient to Israel that we rush people, not just weapons and equipment and ammunition but people into them, ranking people into them. And second, if I were that lieutenant general, I hope I paid off my insurance policy before I left because the best thing for the Israelis would be a quote-unquote terror attack in which that general and his staff were killed. That would, be, gotcha. that, would be, that would be the ultimate cause of spelling. There's no question at all about it. I mean, they don't need it. They have F-16s, tanks, heavy artillery, warships, the Palestinians, What do they have? You show me a Palestinian tank and I'll I'll eat it.
0: (laughs) We have rocks and we have paragliders made from uh, homemade uh, pieces of metal. Yeah, that's what we have. We've always had that. But, you know, of course we're the terrorists. We're the ones who are doing the bad stuff, right? But anyway, uh, we're we're just the Native Americans is what we are. You know, I I said this, by the way, uh, Justin, you probably heard me say this before. In 1981, I was vice president of the Arab Student Association, and I told my fellow Palestinians which, by the way, I'm protesting uh, the genocide right here. I saw it. I saw I, it because I'm a human being, uh, and I'm not. A, I'm not a psychopath. But um, having said, se- <laughs> i Those are two separate issues, John. The <laughs> <laughs> so person with a conscience. Apparently, that's rare these days. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, um, I found it to be told, a problem myself. So you, you'll know this, Alan, because you've been around a long time. Um, in those days, 1982 was uh, Yasser Arafat was the head of the PLO, and he used to wear his military outfit because. In the Palestinian community, that was a show of strength, right? Yeah. And so I told my Palestinian brethren, "Uh uh-oh, you guys are making a big mistake. And I was addressing the PLO at the time. And I said, no, no, no. You tell Yasser Arafat. By the way, his wife uh, is my cousin, Suha Tawil. Um, Really? Yeah, she's Christian, by the way. She's not Muslim, just so you know. Yes. And she lives in Paris, by the way. Okay. But anyway, that's a long story. Yeah, we come from a Tawil family. Tawil in Arabic means tall, by the way. Tall people. That's yeah. what it means in Arabic. I speak Arabic. Okay, so there you go. Um, anyway, my mom's Palestinian, right? She's from Haifa. Obviously, I speak Arabic, right? Really? You guys all speak English, right? I yeah, never knew mom, that. I, yeah, my mom's born in Haifa, Palestine. 1939. Really? I love, yes, we. I am a, a, a ethnic an ethnically cleansed Palestinian, Alan.
1: I'll be damned. Yeah.
0: Yes, my well, wife. Going, I, am, I am going to be damned. There's no question all about
1: that. Yes, but it, other than that, other than that. No, seriously, I, know, I never knew that.
0: come from Haifa and Akka, or they they say in English Akka Acre. Yeah. I think they say acre. Yeah. But it's it. in Arabic it's pronounced Akka. And uh we go back to that town at least five hundred years. Our DNA traces back to the ancient Hebrews, unlike ninety uh, percent of Israelis that don't. Have their DNA traced back to the ancient Hebrews. Yeah. We are the ancient Hebrews, we are the ancient Canaanites. So all these right wing Christians who think they're backing the the these the Jews, they're backing, they're actually backing the wrong tribe because I think they're on sin anyway, but that's another story. But we are the ancient Hebrews, my friend. My mom is. And so so yes, we we're from Haifa. And in nineteen forty-eight, the air gun came, uh, threatened to kill all the family if they didn't leave. They had like a certain twenty-four hours to leave, so they left to Tyre Lebanon. Uh, and they thought they're going to leave for three days and go back to their house. Well, that never happened. The Ergun settlers uh, took over the home. And uh, it's been like that ever since. And uh, we ended up as refugees 13 years in Lebanon and Beirut. And that's the story. And it, We had ended up immigrating to America in 1961 on my grandmother's Brazilian passport because she was born in Brazil in 1917, I think. And that's when they were importing Palestinian workers to work in the mines. So her her mom and dad went there to work in the mines for 10 years. So my grandma had had a Brazilian passport. So we told the Americans, oh, they say, no, you're Palestinian. You can't come to America. She said, oh, no worries. I'm Brazilian. Oh, okay, come on in. (laughs) So that's how we got there. But obviously I have Israeli cousins. I have cousins with Israeli passports in Haifa that are still there living as Israelis. Uh, I have a family in the West Bank, Nablus and Ramallah, uh, of course, as you would imagine, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Jordan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's – yeah, I'm Palestinian. For sure, yeah. So it's personal for me, right? I mean it's personal, but I've tried to be objective here. What I was trying to say, Alan, was I told the people, the PLO in 1982, guys, the sales pitch has to be at the U.S. Congress, not with the Soviet Union. Because at that time, you remember, Arafat was going to talk to the Soviet Union all the time. And, then, you know, that wasn't where the game was. The game was you need to pay off all the congressmen like the Zionists do. That was the game. And, and for, I said, you're going to make Palestine extinct. And 40 years later, we're talking about the final solution in Gaza. And uh, they killed 108, nine people already in the West Bank. And they threatened Hanan Ashrawi already. So, yeah, I mean, it's coming to the West Bank as well. Uh, it's It's bad. It's bad out there, man. Well it will it, it will be and there's nothing to stop them.
1: No. Um you know the, the entire US Congress, except for a, a handful of people on the Democrat side who are otherwise completely repugnant to me, um are entirely in their pocket. There's no question at all about that. Absolutely. The they have effectively a Israeli colonial administration in Washington DC. There are so many Jews, so many dual citizens in strong positions of power, you know, state, White House chief of staff, deputy chief of staff, homeland security, justice, treasury. You go through the long list of them, look at all of the people in all of those positions. You could swap off the government in the United States with the government in Israel and you really wouldn't notice any difference. Exactly. That's that's a slight exaggeration and you understand that. But but still, in terms of the control that they have and the total influence that they have on that, it's it's really amazing.
0: We used to call it the fifty first state of the United States, Israel. But um, I think that's a given. That's that's a no. I, I, don't,
1: I think that's wrong. I don't know how many provinces Israel have, but we'll be the next province of Israel. Not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, there, there's so. there's really no question. The thing that one of the things. Excuse me. I'm still not used to using a headset. I get I hear better with the headset on, but I'm still not used to having the thing being tethered to this bloody gotcha. computer on it. One of the things that I've, I've heard some discussion on, and I'd like to address, which was how the Israelis could have been taken by surprise. You know, with all of their technology, all of their sensors, uh, right. radar-controlled Gatling guns, and radars along the along the borders of Gaza, how all of this could have been there, and still be surprised
0: good question right
1: And well i'm i'm gonna gonna give a, a bit of an anecdote i guess it was about um, oh god almost 40 years ago i was teaching at georgetown and i walked into the department offices in early evening had to, i had an evening class and i stopped stuck dead in my tracks because i I thought there was Paul Newman okay. sitting there sitting there at a desk. Well, this one who was Paul Newman turned out to be a, a visiting Israeli professor of government, um, colonel in the IDF Reserve, paratroop colonel. And when he learned I'd been in the Marine Corps in Vietnam, he had been in a couple of wars in 67 and 73. We sat down and exchanged some good comments, and we we made two comments that I think are worth thinking about when we consider what happened in Gaza and whether or not the Israelis could have been surprised. He said, first of all, our greatest problem are settlers from the United States and Russia. He said, we need their numbers, we need their money, we need their support, but they're not good people. That was just an observation. But the more important one, the more important one was that he said very clearly, no third person around, that we have penetrated every single Arab government and every single Arab organization there is. We use Sephardic Jews largely to do it because they were raised in these countries. They could speak Arabic with the the accent of that specific country and movement, and they can blend in, they can blend in very easily. I don't think that their penetration has has lessened in four decades. I know no. they've penetrated every one of our organizations in the West, that they have not only penetrated them covertly, they have taken over them overtly in terms of their positions of power and influence, you know, money and media will get you a lot. And it's reached the point where they don't even have to blackmail members of Congress with the amount of money that they could pour into political campaigns, with the amount of media visibility, positive or negative, that they can bring to bear on individual members of the House of the Senate, unless Unless one of them is suicidal or a throwaway. And that's what I think that Ilhan Omar and a few of the others are. They're just basically throwaways. They're allowed to be dissidents because they're irrelevant.
0: They're yeah, I saw Pelosi. Uh, Pelosi was completely dismissing them. Somebody asked her, What about some people in your caucus? She goes, Yeah, whatever. And then she just blew it, blew it off like nothing. Like, yeah, okay, exact, Yeah, they're allowed exactly. to do whatever. It, it totally Ex- ignored.
1: Exactly. But but if if, in fact, Every Arab organization and every Arab movement and government has been penetrated by Israeli intelligence. Uh, I guess there are three of the intelligence agencies that uh, Rahman's named, you know, Mossad, Shin Bet, and 8802, that they basically control all of the necessary parts. If they've been penetrated for half a century or more, it isn't possible for any organization, Hamas or anything else, to plan on the scale they did the operation that they conducted without at least one of those intelligence agencies being alerted by at least one of the people they have within Hamas that this was going to happen. That doesn't mean that they planned Hamas to make the attack, but they had to know it was going to happen.
0: So are you suggesting it's more like a Pearl Harbor type situation where – they can claim, "Ah, oh, it came out of nowhere." When in reality, Pearl Harbor was caused by the blockade of oil of Japan. But of course, well, every American doesn't know that. They're like, "Oh, well, no, it just uh, happened out of the blue. They ate us,"
1: you know. E- e- even more than that, there's there have been a number of studies which I which I find very credible as a historian that indicate that not necessarily FDR, but people in his administration were aware that a Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor was not just likely but was imminent, that a Japanese fleet was out there. They may not have known exactly when it was going to happen. They may not have known the exact day it was going to happen. And they certainly didn't, I, didn't, I think, anticipate the destruction that would be caused. After all, in those days, battleships were really the main ships. They would have taken some damage, but you know, to lose most of your battle line, the Pacific battle line, could not have been on the cards. Mm-hmm. I don't think whoever in the Israeli side either either suppressed or contained information of the impending attack anticipated the losses. Certainly, to their troops that were right right close to the border. I mean, to them, that it's, it's a great loss. And to us, it would be unfortunate, but not that great a loss. Mm -hmm. I don't think they anticipated the magnitude or the extent of – yeah, Justin. I don't think that they anticipated either the magnitude or the extent of the losses.
0: Yeah, Yeah, Justin, go ahead and ask your question, Justin. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I want to say, what if if this whole operation by Hamas, they knew about it, but they allowed it to happen in order to be able to conduct – Whatever this clean out operation is that they are doing, right? So they didn't stop it because it gave them think- the opportunity. No, no different than 9-11. I cannot for the life of me get through to everyone that I talked to that our government knew 9-11 was happening. They knew. was going to happen to some degree the the operations that the american government has there is no way and the israeli government there's no way that they don't know everything and and it's it's no different than this individual who just shot up in maine all these people well they knew he was going to do it to some extent. Like they, he was going crazy. They they were watching him. He was making threats, uh, the FBI. And, and you hear this over and over and over and over again, right? So it's almost like they allowed it to happen mm-hmm. to give them a reason and to paint this picture that, like what Johnny says, is the American people, us American people, have to see that Israel is retaliating so they have a right because – Uh, Hamas did this.
1: I think that's quite, I think that's quite true. Uh, It's, it's, it's one of two things that makes sense. And the other thing is that Netanyahu has got less than a, than a, a very firm political base and very few things help to reinforce a leader's position, political position within his own country than leading a quote-unquote righteous war of retaliation and defense, nothing like that. Um, on the other hand, if you're being, if one wants to be really Machiavellian, you know, one of these intelligence agencies may have let information of this be suppressed in the hope that it would bring Netanyahu down, which is not an unusual thing to happen. That does happen in coalition governments, but I, I don't think they did anticipate the magnitude of of the losses that they'd taken the first twenty-four hours. That was that probably came as a surprise to them. Uh, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it gave them still the opportunity to bring an end to what were I an Israeli or an Israeli partisan, I would look on Gaza and to a lesser extent, the West Bank as as festering sores in Israel. And as long as they're there they're gonna be a problem. They may be a large problem, they may be a small problem, they may simply be a focus for the outside world or people in the outside world to look at and say, look how the Israelis treat them. They've got effectively an open air concentration camp with 2.4 million people. They control the food, the water, the electricity, the communications, everything. It's on life support and Israeli life support. And whether they keep that life support going or cut it off intermittently or periodically deal with with resistance from the Palestinians who are there and and in the West Bank, you know, it's still a problem for them. It's It's a public relations problem, but once it's gone, once it's gone, public memories are short and the media will ensure that those public memories are even shorter. You'll get a constant refrain of the brave Israelis fighting against the Palestinian terrorists to maintain their own homeland, that will be the, the narrative. Out of sight, out of mind, and with control of the media that they have, that's what it will be. But go got back to your do tic- it. go back
0: to your TikTok, everybody dancing yep. cats. You know, yep. that's it. Okay, that's it, Alan. So, are, are we gonna? Uh, how many casualties are we gonna see in this Gaza invasion? Based on your military experience, are we gonna get hundred thousand? Oh, no, no. 30,000 hand-to-hand combat. What are we expecting here?
1: Palestinian casualties, as many as they have to do before they push them out. Israeli casualties it's not like that. And, uh, that's not the way the Israelis fight. The Israelis, on a couple of occasions, have made made relatively limited incursions into Gaza with ground forces, and it's always been a little more expensive and messy. They understand that the worst, the worst possible use of a good military is urban warfare. Because it takes absolutely no difficulty for someone with limited or no military experience to take a mullet of cocktail and throw it or to shoot a soldier from a window and from ambush. Yeah, they'll die. They'll die afterwards very quickly. But you'll still take casualties. And you don't need that. I don't care what the the country is, you can go back, you can go through history, and you find numbers of cases where good military establishments got caught up in house-to-house fighting, whether with swords or with machine guns. The classic one, of course, is the German 6th Army in Stalingrad. But when the Russian Army, the Soviet Army, went into Berlin, they took a hell of a lot of casualties, and many of them were from poorly trained Hitler youth, Volkssturm, old men, Younger than you even, perhaps. Not quite as so young, old as me, but that, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, people who had no military training or had their military training was from World War I. They, they had scratch organization. They had limited ammunition. They had no hope. They were fighting in the ruins of their capital city with the Americans and the British and the others coming in from the West and the South, the Soviets coming in from the East. I mean, they had no hope. And the Soviets still took huge casualties. Urban warfare is a bitch, and you don't want to do it if you can avoid it. On the other hand, containing that city, cutting off its communications, cutting off its food, cutting off its water, cutting off its medical supplies, cutting off everything, and then just bombing and shelling it as long as you have to do it.
0: Incredible. Let me Incredible. ask you a question, Alan, about the American side of this whole thing. The Justin and I have been talking about this recently about the American Christian uh, Zionists that are controlling the government <laughs> within the United States and this religious movement. We got this one guy on our site called Doctor Swire. He calls me anti-Semitic. He calls me names. He calls me all this kind of. Here, here I am. I'm letting him express his views, and this guy's going full on. You know. Attacking, you know, like they always do, right? It's just the same old story. Telling me I don't know anything about being Palestinian. No such thing as Palestinians. You know the whole. You know the whole story. Yeah, sure, right? sure, sure. Okay, but but what about this American movement that's been going on for quite a long time? That's finally taken over the United States. T- tell us about that. Your well, perspective. The,
1: there's a couple of different versions of that. Uh, the classic one is, I suspect, is Christians United for Israel, Kufi. Um, it's probably the largest one. Last time I looked, uh, several months ago, there was uh, it had three co-directors: uh, conservative pastor John Hagee and his wife were the two of them, but the third was the exec was also one of the co-executive directors, and she was an Israeli woman, uh, formerly with the Israeli embassy. Also, had worked for APAC. And their communications director—something you think, would think that uh, televangelists wouldn't need—their communications director was also an Israeli, dual citizen, worked at, worked in the Israeli embassy. So it was a Christian movement, or a movement of Christians, but the key positions, the key positions were held by Israelis, by Jews, and they were running it. To, they had were, to keep it on message. Now, the the other part of it is that I find it really fascinating when you when to, to speak of a Christian Zionist is sort of like talking about a vegetarian working in a meat slaughterhouse um, the I've actually read a fair part of the Talmud um, not all that I don't think I could stomach all of it but I've read a fair amount of it and I, when I first ran into it, I thought that it was written by, you know, a collection of, of fringe fringe fanatics, you know, sort of like the, uh, the Branch Davidian group. But it wasn't. It was written by some of the most learned rabbis in Jewish history, including Rabbi Hillel, after whom the Jewish student centers are named. And the sheer vitriol in it is just absolutely unbelievable, and the anti-Christian vitriol it is not, not even concealed. And it's just, I look at that, and I think, how can these people profess to be Christians, and which I'm not, by the way, how can these people profess to be Christians and know nothing of what Jews think about them, and think about their Savior, and his mother, and all the rest of it? It's really, it's really fascinating. It's really, it's
2: really fascinating to see it. It is, it is, and that's and that's what uh, Johnny and I have been talking about. And we had a discussion in a previous episode. Is like so. Let's 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 preface. Yes, I am a Christian, and and Johnny is a Palestinian Christian. But we also understand that our faith doesn't rely on. Israel. Our faith doesn't rely on Jews, right? And so we were sitting here having this dialogue and, and he said, We need to get on, we need to get on a podcast to discuss this because I said, Why in the world are we and I'm saying we as a as a Christian body, why are we as Christians sitting here uplifting the Jewish state? And again, I'm not anti-Jewish, I'm not anti Semitic, I'm not anti anything. Where I'm coming from is, is a place of question. Why are we sitting here lifting up this Jewish state when the Jewish state doesn't even hold a candle for accepting Christ as the Messiah and Christ as the Savior? And so you got all these Christian churches sitting here standing on the rock. And this was, you know, the so I want your take on this, Alan, because all these Christians are standing on the rock of Israel, Israel, Israel. Pro Jew, Pro Jew, defend the Jews, defend the Jews. When, when I look, and I and I am defending someone of my faith, I want to say I'm defending them because they believe Christ is the Messiah. And here is all these Hagee and all these people like standing up, and it's almost like there's some inside money or something that they're getting to be able to stand up and say this, knowing that those Jews that they are standing up for don't even believe the same thing they believe in.
1: Well, uh, as, as John knows, uh, I'm Jewish on my father's side. I was brought up a Methodist, sang in a choir for six years, in fact, which shows that the choir director was either desperate for voices had, or had great Christian charity, because I realized what my voice sounded like, I was better at counting cadence than other things. I don't think it's a question of, of whether or not Jews have to accept the Messiah or not. They have different interpretations of Jews and Christians have different interpretations of who or what the Messiah was and when the Messiah will come or has come or so forth. So do Muslims. They have a, again, the third take on it. What's interesting is that part of none of this existed. In the in the Christian churches,
2: when I was
1: growing up in the 40s and 50s, it wasn't there. Really, it wasn't, really, it just you. It wasn't there. You didn't. I can't think of a single case. Uh, I had relatives who were Roman Catholics, which are, not, of course, not the, the Protestants who are being uh, directed into the uh, Israeli line, um, but Lutherans, Episcopalians, Baptists and of course the Methodists that I was with, none of this was part of it. It started wow. in the 1960s, about the same time as the Holocaust narrative was contrived, because they didn't uh... talk about the Holocaust at all when I was in school in the late 50s, right. or in the early 60s at university. It wasn't mentioned in text or lecture, including by Jewish professors. Two of my professors, Jewish professors, were emigrates to the United States, after World War II, one from the area in the Rhineland, not too far from Dachau, the other from Poland. Never, not a hint. And they weren't people who were suppressing horrible memories. I've been in war, I know what horrible memories are. I know what you want to suppress. And these weren't that, these were happy people, genuinely happy people. But sometime in the early 60s, and I think it was around Johnny, you might be able to help me with this one. Uh, 63, 64. A organization, a Jewish organization in America, morphed into APAC, and I can't remember whether it was, what it was. It was the World Jewish Congress, American Jewish, it was one it was an American Jewish organization that was on the, on the verge of being declared uh, an agent of a foreign government. Which is Israel, and it morphed into AIPAC.
0: Well, well to AIPAC was founded the in '53. I know, recently. I know, but
1: it, it but it, it morphed into and in that it melded. It was a into division AIPAC. of the
0: American Zionist Council.
1: That's it. That's it. That's it. But it was in the 1960s, mid early to mid 1960s, when I, being in Vietnam, was paying attention to other things. You understand? Uh, it morphed. In, two things happened. One. Was that this Holocaust narrative started to be developed? It didn't exist in the late fifties. By the late sixties, it was everywhere. It was that type of so that. And the second thing was that in the nineteen sixties, uh, Jewish organizations began to go after evangelical Protestant ministers. Particularly ones who had big followings, you know, the televangelists and such at that, or the the rate at that time was radio evangelists. I would guess not that many television evangelists, and they did so on the assumption that where their pastors led, the flocks would follow, and in large part they were correct. And the combination of the two, uh, the creation of the narrative of the the victim without equivalent. Which was the Holocaust narrative, and bringing the Protestant ministers, some of the more prominent ones, online with them, that that gave them gave them both votes and money, and support, and that started. And that's.
2: And so, I what had, do you think? I, you I, think I had an Pardon me. What do you think was said? I in order to get in order to get these churches and pastors and this whole narrative to change in the 60s what what was what was used what was said
1: money money and gifts one one I one I'm gonna not mention the name because these days you can be sued free from breathing a name he, he's dead by the way at this time but you never know if you may have descendants out there one of them was given uh a nice jet plane complete with crew and ground maintenance. Uh, another one was given awards and medals in Israel and it, all expense paid trips for himself and his family through the Holy Land. Uh, it was basically that. I don't think it was anything that was said. I think something was done. I, I've never believed that, uh, that a person could be the could be a television evangelist in which he'd ask for money in order to give his blessings and heal you or run a mega church and, and live in a mansion and and really believe in christianity there's, yeah, nothing so there. there's, nothing, there's nothing there there's nothing christian th- there's nothing christian about these about these these mega churches or the television evangelists there's nothing christian about them um, All right. so i don't think yeah. i don't think there was any argument used or any any positions made it was just simply a matter of honors, material material gifts, and money. And they've, they've done their job. They've done their job. They brought their flocks along. And now th- there wasn't a, I don't think there was a single Protestant church. Oh, I can't say that because that wasn't in the entire United States, but at least in Michigan, there wasn't a single Protestant church that had an Israeli flag outside of it. And now there's a lot of them, particularly the assemblies of God, for example, number of the, of the evangelical churches, especially the evangelical churches, which have been the primary target of them, that you will have alternating yeah. Israeli and U.S. Yeah. flags running around the church grounds.
2: and that yeah, wasn't and based on it...
1: theological argument. I mean, if 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 if, it was a, if 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 I were looking at it theologically, if I since I'm since I'm neither. Neither Jew nor Christian nor Muslim in practice, I can take sort of an an equal opportunity approach to this. But if I were if I were a Christian, looking at, at one of two sides, Jews and Muslims, and the Muslims say that Jesus was a holy prophet, his mother Mary is one of the most revered people in the Quran, and that the Christians are children of the book. And to Jews, to to religious Jews, Christianity is an abomination. You know, the Muslims are misguided, but Christianity is an abomination, I think because it's so closely tied to the legacy of the Messiah and the house of David and the remainder, all of that, and that explicitly incorporates the Old Testament, not just references to it as in the Quran, which I've read, but the old, the Torah is the Old Testament. And because of that, and they describe Jesus as boiling in excrement for eternity, uh, a blasphemer and a heretic. And his mother Mary is an adulteress and a whore. And they use that explicitly in the Talmud. I mean, if I were a Christian and I were looking at these two, you know, I might consider both of them to be wrong and both of them to be evil. I don't know if the Christians do consider both of them to be evil. But if I were a Christian looking at that, I'd say, but the Muslims are less. They acknowledge they, they they might have they might have a false prophet in the terms of, of Muhammad, but they've got they accept they accept Jesus as a prophet, and they so, don't denigrate either him or what he, what he did. I mean, theolo- yes. theologically, theologically it makes more it makes more sense for Christians to back Muslims, but the Muslims have never gone out of their way to attract Christian support.
2: Okay. So you, you, not anywhere. Some perfect points, some perfect points there, Alan. So to uncover, and I'm guessing Johnny probably, uh, we're running out of time, but to uncover that, why, why then? Let's set money and bribery aside, right? Why Mm -hmm. is the Christian population so blinded by the reality of this? horrible viewpoint that you just you just uncovered that these true religious jews have how are we so blinded
1: very few read the Talmud um, the Talmud is not exactly widely available uh, you can find it if you're looking for it but most people i've talked to don't even know what know that it exists they simply don't know it
0: um, Can I also say it, that most not, Christians not, don't, read the, don't read the Bible either?
1: That's also true. That's also true. Yeah. Uh, they're it's mostly Protestants, not Catholics, by the way. Uh, Catholics and Greek Orthodox and Orthodox are a little bit different on this than the Protestants, But then they were they were the targets of the of the, the Zionists yeah. when the Zionists went after the the, the Protestants they depended upon those Protestant pastors to guide and direct their flocks in the proper quote-unquote direction, which is the direction the Jews wanted them to be. You know, the children of Israel, these are the chosen people. Israel is a favored state. Even if they misbehave, yep, exactly. they're still God's chosen people and all right. the rest of that. So that's what's that the pastors and the churches and the organized churches, the mega churches in particular, and the television evangelists, are the ones who that's guide cool. most yeah. of them. Second, second, you can walk across the political spectrum. They have ownership of every major network. They have ownership of every
0: major studio. They have let's not discount me- the importance of PR and media. I know, That that's kind a of th- level th- of media control is it, 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 insane. Well, Dr. Goebbels will be so jealous of this. Oh, uh, uh, Go- Goebbels wouldn't have,
1: wouldn't have a patch on these people. And it's not just those. There are five major advertising conglomerates in the West, three in the U.S., uh, one each in L.A., New York and Washington, one in London, one in Paris. These control 95 percent of the advertising in the West, 95 percent, at least 95 percent. They've not only been pushing continuously at a subliminal level, as well as an overt level in the news media. But at a subliminal level, a lot of these messages that we've been talking about, they've also been pushing all of the woke agenda consistently. And that combination, the combination is a witch's brew that would make Macbeth's witches jealous themselves. Dr. Garb would be in the same position. They've done that. It's, you know, control information and you've got it. And they have both money and media, entertainment and other media combined, all of that, and they're all pushing the same message. So if these people in these Protestant churches, mostly Protestant churches, very few Catholics on this, I gather, but the ones that they've got this message from their pastors, if they begin to have second thoughts about it, where do they go to find information to give them anything? VT Radio. A few people can get a, a, the you know, it. There's a few sources... There are fewer places now for people with, I'll I'll say our political, I'm not going to say our view because I'm going to speak for myself, for for people with my political views and my view of the world to publish now than there was 14 years ago when I first got into this. And I got into it as a reaction to what happened with yet another one of those Israeli assaults on Gaza, Operation Cast Lead, 2008-2009 which they began with a surprise attack on a graduating class of Palestinian police cadets, killed hundreds of them and their families. Uh, and and that, that got my attention. But where now there's there's only a handful of outlets there. They've mostly been closed off. They mostly lost money, lost advertisers, lost support. And they've mostly been shut down.
0: Hey, Alan, let, me ask, let me say hey, this, Ellen. Oh my- the average the American Christian Zionist, the Christian guy that goes to school, he's 20 years old, 30 years old, he's screaming Israel. Israel's Israel. He doesn't have any context of Palestine or anything like that. He doesn't know anything. Yep. He just told what he was told. So he believes it. Um, I think the better answer for Justin that I can give him is they've been conned. They're being lied to. They're being yep. manipulated yep. to and brainwashed. Yep. And I but- think the right word is brainwashed. And I think when you, I have a good friend. She's a lovely lady. She's smart as hell good person and she asks me how come the palestinians uh, how come the arab countries won't take the palestinians i'm like do you even understand the question that you're asking okay look at the question that you're asking okay she doesn't understand that she's been brainwashed to ask that question like that's not even a question but yet she asked that question and she's a person of empathy she's a person of, of character she's been brainwashed so long she doesn't know if what's up and down so I think I
1: think that, that the word brainwashing. Here. I think that the
0: brainwashing
1: is probably, probably, appropriate for some people, but that basically means that they had views, contrary views, and they were changed. What they did, so what, it, they what, did. You ha- what you have instead, is, in, uh, in political science terms, it's called political socialization. In practical okay. terms, it's indoctrination. And okay. it, but it's, it's cradle to grave indoctrination. And so it's, it is. It's, it's not a matter of having to take views that are contrary to what the Zionists want and change them. I mean, if you and I were to be were to change our views, that that would be brainwashing. They would, OK, would, fair would, enough. They would, from what across these are. But most people, because of the educational system and because of the increasing control of the media by them, they're, this is the only thing that they know, right? They're, they don't have. They just don't yeah. just, it's as commonplace to them as as they could ever be, and it's just like the same thing as. With, and when they get it reinforced in church, that just puts one more level of support on them.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a, a much better characterization than mine. So I appreciate that clarification, Ellen. Justin, you my we belt. have a, a few minutes left. one <laughs> more question of Dr. <laughs> Allen and, uh, and I'll give Alan the last word before we go.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating, uh, Alan, Doctor Alan. You are you are not the first person to say that the big five media is owned by Jewish um, people and Jewish companies, right? Jewish control. And in one of one of our other um, mm-hmm. podcast interviews, they said that those same. Jewish media companies, just like what you said, are the same people who are creating this woke agenda and pushing this woke agenda throughout the American media, throughout the American schools, throughout the, you know, the American um, education system. And now we've got 64 genders that someone can be in high school when they don't even realize, um, you know, anything about what being a teenager is, and they're already being told they can choose between sixty-four agendas. You're not the first person to say that that same woke agenda is coming from the Jewish, the Jewish state that we Christian churches are sitting here defending and standing up for, um, in in our in our religion, right? Exactly,
1: exactly. Um, I think the I think the very uncomfortable truth is that this is endgame, and they're winning and they're, and they're winning because not, not not that's because of the apathy of the American people. There's a lot of apathy out there, but because they have always had a long view when, when they moved in the Weimar Republic in the 1920s with essentially the same agendas they've had in the United States for the last 30, 40 years, they moved too quickly, too soon. And they they, they they came back with our armies and the Soviet armies, but I mean, they moved too quickly, too soon to gain control of Germany because Germany was the country that Karl Marx expected would be the one where the revolution would occur. It was the most industrialized country in Europe, it was the most vibrant economy. It was the most powerful state, land state yeah. in Europe. He never expected it to be to be Russia, never. It was Germany, and not because he was a German Jew. That looking around because he could have picked France or Britain, where he, Britain, where he was writing his his books. Uh, got to to write to write in the in the British Museum has got to be the most depressing thing. It's no wonder he came out grim from that thing. But he thought it would happen in Germany, and they moved too fast. United States, they have been more cautious. They expected a revolution in the 1960s over the Vietnam War and the civil rights movement. Every one of the radical groups was led by Jews, as it was in other countries. They failed. The end of the draft, end of the war, the early civil rights legislation, you know, and it went away. You know, the, the fire in the streets went away. And so instead of going away themselves, they simply went a little bit further underground, burrowed into the academic community, principally the academic community, and started to burrow into the media and grew that way. They have paced themselves. They've got a very powerful and very evil agenda. And I don't use the term evil casually. They think they have yeah, won. They, and I'm very much afraid I, they have, and I'm very much afraid they have. Unless unless people develop some background backbone and some balls, and are willing to stand up and use their tactics against them, and I'm talking the tactics of 2020, not not the tactics of turning out leaflets, they've won. And no, all I'll... Gaza, all Gaza is going. All Gaza is going to do is going to cement the Israeli. American position, and it's not going gotcha. to be one we like. No, of course not,
0: Alan. Let, let me say this also uh, in America. Uh, I will report to you that this morning I had a, I'm going to say a friend, an unnamed friend, and that's about all I'm going to say because they're under danger. They they live and work in the United States, and they told me direct that people are being fired from their job for standing up for the Palestinian people. Yep. This yep. is not a joke. Yep. Um, And I was like, I've heard that before, and this is—I heard it from a very (laughs) credible person that I personally know that would never lie to me. That's what's going on, and that's scary. Now that—that's not the America I used to know. I mean, yeah, you can disagree with somebody, and you know, if violence is not okay, it's never been okay. So if I said I wanted to kill somebody, okay, I should be arrested. That's fine. Be fired for that, you know. Um, But just for disagreeing or, or, or taking a different position, now it gets you fired. Uh, yeah, what do you say about that? Like, before I let
1: I, you go, I, 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 of it's course, it, 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 it's horrible, but it's not surprising. But look who's look who's running the corporations. You no, know, it's, it, you know, you know, it's, it's not a function of numbers. You know, it only takes a few people. Uh, there was this one, <laughs> one of these one of these little episodes from Roman history that uh, uh, Roman pro Council and his lictor, just one lictor were meeting a, a king in somewhere in the Asia Minor. Like it's been, been many decades since I read the details of this, so forgive me, I'm not going to repeat it. And he was standing there, this this one Roman official and his lictor, and he was looking at this king and his army, and he drew a line in the sand around the king's feet and said, You will accept Rome? before you step out of that circle or die. There and what, of course you could have killed those two, but that's it. It's not numbers. It's position. It's position. It's position. It's like Hour. like the real estate man. You know, it's the three rules, location, location, location. Well, these are position, position, position.
0: Gotcha. And no, I, that- I want to say this to our, our listeners around the world. Uh, don't forget to please support VT. We are not mainstream media over here. We are free uncensored media uh, which is apparently a rarity in the world. Um, and uh, obviously we're not getting the MSN money that uh, Alan talked about, the 96% of the ad revenue. That doesn't come our way. So um, if you support freedom of voice, freedom of speech, and uncensored conversation, please go to our website at com. On any one of the articles on the right side, you'll see a little ad article that says, you know, become a member. Just click on that and join for $8 a month. Please support VT. And if you don't like Oh, this kind of media and you, you want to hear the bullshit from the United States media that tells you nothing about nothing, then go, go watch them, you know, M- MSNBC and CNN's available. Uh, Murdoch loves you at Fox news. So go ahead and go that way. But, but it's true. But, but if you don't like that and you like this better, you know, help us out here because we got to pay for all this stuff and this technology and things like that, hosting, et cetera. So on that note, uh, Justin, I'm going to give you the la- one word and then I'll give you Alan, the final word, Justin, what say you about this whole situation?
2: They they got a long game, and, and as Alan said, the only way to interrupt that, uh, that long game is to stop them in their tracks. They have been doing this for years and years and years, and we've been lied to, we've been conned, we've been duped, and um, the, only, the only way to stop it is to seek truth and to end their long game. We, and I'm going to say
1: we, need to make them pay such a price that even if they win, it will hurt them more than they realize. What do you mean by that? Just what I said.
0: Fair enough. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for being on VT Radio today. Uh, We were live on YouTube uh, and on Facebook, so thank you much to everybody who's listening out there. And again, support VT, and we'll talk to you soon. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Have a fantastic evening.
1: Peace. Thank you, John. Thank you, John, very much.
0: Okay. Okay. All right, Alan. So anyway, Alan, uh, let me see here. Uh, You got uh, 99% uploaded. Let me hit the, uh, the, let's see, the end button here. And leave studio end session for all. Um, hit the stop button. Hold on. I'm
1: looking, I'm looking for the percentage button. Uh, okay. I have uh...